the feedback that we get with our customer service and comments that we get and DMs and everything is extremely rewarding that you know that people feel better and you know that you've made a difference. And when I go places and then somebody hears color wow and they go, oh my God, your root cover up or oh my God, that dream code is saying me, I took it on vacation. That is rewarding. You can make products and you can make money, but you don't necessarily are going to hear those kind of comments about the products. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call. Joining me today on Glam and Grow is Gail Federici, founder and CEO of ColorWow. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to talk to you. You are one of beauty's most successful entrepreneurs, hands down, and there is a lot to cover in your 35 plus year, super extensive career. So talk to me a little bit about your background at a a high level and ultimately what inspired you to become an entrepreneur and start the brand. It has been many, many, many years. It's a long story. This could be one for five hours. I know. So we're going to try to condense it as as best as we can. So I really never knew, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to be ever. I majored in English. I I just worked different jobs when I was in my 20s, had no clue what I wanted to do. And then I would quit my job and go cross country to just, I was very curious about, you know, so many different things. I like to travel. Then I went to study French in uh, France at the University of Paris when I was God, I was probably in my late 20s. And, you know, I just, I didn't know what I wanted, really. I know I love to travel and I really liked the idea of being able to maybe work in this country and overseas. That was always in the back of my mind. And I think somehow you always need to sort of know because when opportunities come up, you wind up grabbing the ones that are fulfilling that you know, underlying thought process that you have back there somewhere when you don't have, I never had real direction, but I did have these things tugging at me, you know, in the back of my mind. And so I think that that made me more open to opportunities when they came up. But um, honestly, I never thought that I would ever have my own business. I was working for other companies. I was working for Zotos, which is a hair care company by a fluke. I really was interested in it. I wound up being in charge of their creative department after a while in education. I worked a lot with people in in developing the ideas behind the product. So I spent a lot of time in the lab, which really helped me in later years when I started the first company with John Frieda. So, um, but I didn't necessarily think that I was going to continue working. I didn't know really what I wanted. I liked advertising. I liked promoting products. And um, when I was 36 years old, I had twins. Um, And that kind of changed everything for me because one of them was born with congenital heart disease. And all of a sudden there was one gal before kids, BC, I always say before children, (laughs) and one AC after children. And they were two completely different people. Right now, finally, I'm kind of joining my old self. But right away after I had them, it I mean, I was single until pretty much 36. And have passport will travel. Um, And then it was such a rude awakening for me to have two at once. There were no twins in the family. There was no fertility involved. I was shocked beyond belief. And not really ready for it, to be honest. I was always sort of a perpetual Peter Pan kind of thing. And all of a sudden, oh, whoa, I'm having a child was, you know, big enough. But then having two and then um, Alex, two girls, 
Alex had congenital heart disease and it was serious. And so at that moment, I knew I'm on a mission here. The, my biggest um, like mission in life was to make sure that I could provide the best healthcare possible because my husband was really a musician at heart. He played the guitar, he sang, he was with bands, but then he wound up in sales. But I knew that it was in, he's more of a poetic soul. And even though I feel like I have a definite creative side to me, there's also a, a side that if something needs attention, I'm going to be driven, you know, and focused beyond to get done whatever needs to get done. And when that happened, it was, okay, I'm on the lookout for whatever I can do to provide the best, you know, for security and provide the best health care for my daughter. So I think with that in the back of my mind, at a certain point when we, Conair bought Zotos and I was tired of, of hair care, to be honest with you. I wanted to do something else. Been 10 years, I was working with um, someone called Ann Bell, who has been my business partner through life um, since then at John Frieda. And we thought we're going to open an advertising company. We're done with hair. Let's figure out ways to um, to sell different types of products, to really understand different industries. But at that same time, we had, it was in the um, late 1980s, we had a big conference for hairdressers in Italy and John Frieda was the guest artist. And that's when I really first met him um, and spent any time with him. I'd met him before that, just um, briefly. And during that period of five days, I didn't realize, but at the time he had opened a salon and he really was stretched and he really needed to um, make money, to put it bluntly. And so did I. We really needed to figure out a way to um, to increase our personal finances. Do you know what I mean? So I thought, you know, in talking to him, he had a product line, a very small product line. And Anne and I were about to leave to start our own advertising agency. And I really didn't want to do hair. But after five days of talking with him, he asked me if we could consult a little bit on a few products that he had. And I said, sure, you know, been doing this for a very long time. Happy to, as a friend, give you some thoughts on whatever it is that you need um, input on. So started doing that over a year he went and we were getting our act together for the advertising he then went on a tv show he wasn't sure whether to go on or not we told him to go and the it was just went crazy the consumers were trying to call boots the chemist you know where he was um where he had his products in only about 20 stores 19 20 stores and he called me and said I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what to do. I've got three salons, never had a product company before. There are two of the products that I demonstrated on TV. Boots now wants to expand them into a thousand stores. I have no time, nor do I really know how to do this. Would you consider not doing your advertising plans, but joining me as partner? So at the time, my kids were three years old. My husband was wow. working here. I'd have to move to London. Anne would have to move with me. I didn't want to go by myself. I always I wanted a collaborator with me besides John. And we talked about it. And I said, we probably only have to be there for a year. I said, but we know this inside and out. We know hair products. We understand how to make hair products, basically. And I had an idea in my head about a product for frizzy hair, for my hair type. Because I'd always been searching because at the time in the 80s, there was not one single product in the market for my hair type. Wow, the word shocking. Crazy, right? The word frizz was not anywhere to be found on a package anywhere. It was just ignored. What um, manufacturers thought was typical other brands. They had products for um, volume because at the time it was felt that the the type of hair that had problems were fine limp hair, that they couldn't hold a set, they couldn't get any volume. And that's what was addressed. So every single styling product, and there were not that many at the time, they, they were engineered to give body to the hair. 
And that was the last thing I needed. I needed to take the body out of my hair. It was so big and to smooth it. I needed the opposite of what was out there. And so I had an idea for a product. And I, when we got into serious discussion with John about actually coming over to London, I said, I have an idea for a product. Would you be opposed to my pursuing that? I said, you've got a handful of bespoke products, which we're happy to, you know, work on and promote. But I really have this idea for my hair type. Do you have chemists we could work with? And what do you think about that? Absolutely fine. No problem. So we thought about it and thought, John was very smart. He was very promotable, easy to work with. And we thought, you know what? We know how to do this. You actually make more money with products than you do with a service company like an ad agency. And it was our background. So I thought, you know what? Forget the ad agency, even though we put a lot of work into it. I think we should do this. But that meant Anne leaving her husband here in the U.S., me leaving my husband, took the twins and a nanny and moved over to London in, yeah, in 1993, something like that. My father at the time was absolutely, my mother had passed and my father was going crazy saying, you have a great job. You're making a lot of money. You're a VP. This is so risky. And I, my father was one of the first pioneers in computer and computer language and designing, um, just working with computer computers. I don't know exactly what he did, but he came up with a system for publishers that could change addresses and do something with subscriptions that used to take weeks and weeks and weeks, and he could do it in hours. And it was a major, and he was written about everywhere. And we had somebody come to our house, wanted to go into business with my father. Long story short, he was afraid to do it because security with where he was, he had a good job, good money. He never did it. And I think that he regretted it always. And I felt, you know what? I'm 40 years old. Big deal. I'm 40 years old. I'm never, this is an opportunity. It's scary because I have twins and one who's sick. But if it doesn't work, I can always come go back and I'll get another job and I'll work hard and I'll make enough money. So I thought if I'm ever going to take a chance, I'm going to do it now. And Anne agreed. And we moved over rented a house in London. She lived with me, the my girls and a nanny. And we started the business in the basement of John's salon. And um, I sort of, the rest is history. I talked to him early on about a product for my hair type. And I had an idea for ingredients, which was silicones. And at the time they weren't being used in hair care, went to a chemist there and worked with a chemist that I knew from, you know, working at Zotos. And put together the formula that is now frizzies. And we launched the serum at $10 price point, which at the time for a little tiny bottle was, whoa, unheard of. And then the rest was kind of history. We just stuck to what I felt, you know, I had worked for other, another company, a couple of other companies in hair care. And I didn't, I wanted to make a difference because it's more rewarding. And if you make something that matters, then you do make money, I, I totally believe. And and you make something that's built to last. And so with Frizz, since it was an issue for me and very frustrating, I also knew that there were so many women out there, like over 65% of the people are either born with it or through chemical processing or heat, whatever, wind up with frizzy hair. And I thought this is a game changer. And if we could develop a full line since there was nothing out there, that didn't have alcohol in it, that wouldn't dry your hair out, that didn't make it bigger, but made it smoother. That would, you know, it's a great white space, massive white space, since there was nothing out there. And so helpful to women with this hair type. And that started my wanting to um, really make a difference in any product that we did to, you know, identify a problem. And if there was nothing out there, great, that's white space. But if there was something but women didn't love it, but it was the best that they could find. If we could do it better, which was in the case of the root cover-up, 
then we would launch it. But that's kind of the way we looked at everything, especially since, you know, when we started the amount of back in the day mail that came to us, poems written by mayors of cities, uh, copper frizzies bottles that you could make chocolate frizz bottles were sent to us. People pouring their hearts out to us, how much our line made a difference to them. And I know it made a difference to me too, was extremely rewarding. And with making a difference, you do make money. And as my original, you know, I let fear, I always say, I remember Jimmy Iveen from the music business. He, you know, he um, said something that he let fear be his tailwind, not his headwind. It pushed him instead of holding him back. And I felt that that's what the same with me. Fear was my tailwind. I was fearful of not having enough money to give my daughter the best care. That's really what pushed me to be so extremely focused instead of more flitting around. I think I'm going to go to Paris and I'm going to learn French or I'm going to take a course. I'm going to, I went to law school um, because I was interested in it and I was interested in cases, but not necessarily with the intention of being a lawyer because I was interested in a lot of different things and not focused really. And my situation with Alex I had focus, but really focused me beyond probably what I would have ever been. You know, I was so determined to make it work. Um, So that's kind of how it started. And that's what pushed me. And then when we sold John Frieda, we did the line for blondes after that, because at a certain point in time with the Frizz products, you know, I didn't want to line extend to line extend because we could. Every single account wanted more Frizz products from us because they were just going crazy. And I just didn't have another reason to make a Frizz product. I couldn't isolate another or identify another product. And I said, I don't want to put out bogus products. I said, we've been so true to sort of our mantra from the beginning to make prescriptive products, make a difference, make something that matters. I just, I just because we can doesn't mean that we should. So we started to have um, different, you know, consumers come to our office and it was our own little focus group. And we would show them product ideas and packaging ideas and ask them, you know, what resonated with them. And that's what led to the Sheer Blonde because about halfway through this, you know, focus group, it was clear to me that the blondes had completely, they didn't like one thing that we showed them. So halfway through, I was saying, you don't like any of this. What Do you have any issues? What, and it led to our thinking about blondes looking darker in the winter. And could we figure something out? And we did. We were able to figure something out in the shampoo. But um, it was that was sort of the trajectory. And when we sold the company in 2002, which was, we didn't plan on selling it. It just was, you know, an amount that we couldn't refuse if, we were being responsible to our families. You know, I, I remember the day when we got the call. Finally, we were saying, no, 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 we're not. And then finally, after a lot of due diligence and things, we still weren't interested. In, and then they called back and gave us a high number. And I said, I think it would be irresponsible to our families not to take it, I was saying to John. And we did. And I honestly was at a loss after that. That was our baby for 12 years. And I really loved doing it. It was just so rewarding hearing from everyone too. And you know, you were making, I know it's not rocket science, not healthcare or anything really important, but you it's still, pretty important. You know, it makes a difference if you're feeling better about yourself because exactly. of how you're. So um, we then went into the music business for a short period of time, like five years, we had a non-compete. And that was another, I could write a book about that. That was hilarious. <laughs> With your husband? No, not really. Okay. No, it was just um, John Frieda's brother. Oh, and okay. My, my twins were in our sheer blonde commercials, which you probably don't remember, but long story how they wound up in there, but we could cut their hair. Whereas with models, you couldn't cut their hair. And we didn't want to have long hair like P&G and L'Oreal and all the ads because we didn't have the same amount of money. So we thought we're not going to stand out in magazines or on TV with more models with long, flowing, shiny hair. What do we do? So we worked with Sally Hirschberger, who gave my daughters 
these real choppy cuts, kind of Meg Ryan-ish one and the other platinum blonde. And they had been modeling a bit. They didn't like it, but my sister, who's their aunt, who was, I think she wanted to be an agent or something. She was being with them. (laughs) She'd be with them in the city. And she goes, oh, we're by Ford. Do you, you want to, you know, can I bring them in? I go, well, if they want to do it, you could bring them in. But they were like 14. Or, so they signed with four, but they weren't in school and they weren't interested. They were interested in music. Anyway, long story short, we wound up doing a TV commercial with them, cut their hair, did a photo shoot, did it with Dave Myers, who was the MTV winning every award at the time, doing every major um, artist's videos back in the day. He did the video and it went crazy absolutely crazy and um that led us into going into the music business eventually because it was fun i've always loved music my husband was in music john frieda was married to lulu who was a huge singer in the uk his brother had studios and we thought oh fun let's do this now let's have some fun um and it i won't go into it now but there's so many hilarious stories from it, it but wound up leading us back to a lot of gray hair from me in the music business. <laughs> totally, totally. Because we were down in Atlanta and with all of these unbelievable producers, Tricky, Dallas, Jay-Z, Jazzy Faye, all of these names, they call me Instant G when I was down there. <laughs> Everybody, right? And it was great fun and great learning. But I noticed my sisters were going gray. And I'm thinking, why? My one sister had a big stripe down. And I'm looking at her one day and going, Lynn, why aren't you covering that? I said, that is crazy. And she said, because there's nothing. There's sprays and they go all over the place. They're crayons. They look fake. I said, well, there has to be something. So looked around and there was nothing. The the size of the root business for touch-up was so small. And yet the problem, huge right? Huge, but nothing that women really liked. So I thought, oh, well, while we're in the music business, maybe we should try and see if we could come up with a solution. And I had remembered doing a shoot with a hairdresser who put a blonde wig on a model and it looked really fake. So he went in with eyeshadow, dark eyeshadow and darkened the roots. But when we hit the hair with a fan, the powder shot everywhere and it also looked dull. It dulled the hair a bit. So I thought, I wonder if we could make a powder that could stick to the hair and had reflective particles in it because the eyeshadows were dulling and then they didn't stick. So anyway, after three years, well, in the music business, we were trying to do this and we got came up with a formula that was so forgiving. It didn't matter the tones in your hair. We had so many pigments in each shade that it blended so seamlessly. And I thought, Oh my God, I don't want to go back into hair care, but I was going to say, were you, was that something you planned on doing? I did not want to. It was like, no, I don't want to go back in it again. I felt like we've done our thing and we kind of went out on top and I thought, you you know, no, no, let's figure something else out. And then my sister was going down to Florida meeting friends. She's running out of our office with the stripe. I said, are you serious, Lynn? Are you serious? (laughs) I said, sit in the chair. Let me cover that. So she runs out, calls me on Saturday. I remember totally. She said, you aren't going to believe this. What? She said, I swam in this. Under the water, in the waves, my hair dried. It's still there. My roots were covered. I said, oh, my God. So I started talking to Anne and I said, this is crazy. I said, this is something that every woman would want whether if you have only a little bit of gray you can touch it up it doesn't transfer as long as you brush it after you put it on nothing and I said I don't know I think we have to think about this I said as much as we don't want to do this again I feel like this is perfect for so many women and the baby boomers and everything else I said let's think about a full line for color treated hair is there a place for that and we started to think about it and one thing led to another and then we launched color wow um we launched the root cover up about 10 years ago and that went crazy and now after saying twice no we're not going to do it again because starting before i had the, our own company 
I was in hair care. I said, never again. I'm going to something else. Then meet John Frieda. I'm back in it. Then after we sell it, I'll go, never again, never again. And here we are again. Well, I so, think this is really what you were destined to do. I guess. I guess. Um, I can't express to you how much your story resonated with me on a personal level and is just so inspiring. I'm sure I'm not the only one on so many levels of, you know, the the component of fear. And then a lot of women feeling like the second they have children, that's going to stunt their entire career. So it's so inspiring to hear that it had the opposite effect for you. Um, I, there, there's so many directions we could go, but I'm curious how you were able to really manage it all and stay super focused with all that you had going on. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it's never, nothing is easy. Do you know what I mean? If nothing is easy, but I feel like maybe I was easier on myself. I tried to, when it was important to be so focused on the business, that's what I was. But when Alex had to have surgery or when she was going through different procedures and things, then my entire focus, that's where it was, period. And I didn't beat myself up for I'm just focusing on Alex now, what's happening with the business. We had really good people who were really there for, had my back on everything. And then, you know, when I was doing the business, I will say there were times where I was thinking, oh, you know, I should be spending more time with the kids, but you cannot have everything. You can't, and you have to make sacrifices and you have to just realize that, that, you know, nothing in life is just so simple and you have such simple decisions and everything is right. You just have to think about, you know, I don't have great life balance. I wouldn't say necessarily, because there are times when I am like through the pandemic, I must have been working at least 16 hours every day and on weekends to survive because a third of our business was in the trade with salons. But I think you, you're there when you know you have to be there. It's critical. And the rest of the time you try to balance. And I don't think a working mother should beat herself up. I just, I think so many women, you have to sort of accept you're doing, if you have to do your best that you can. And usually that is enough, you know, unless you're too much, you know, money, 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 or power, 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 or whatever it is on the business side and you neglect your kids. That's, you know, but other than that, I think you can strike a decent balance. If you don't second guess yourself every single second. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The the second guessing um, and just having some sort of ability to multitask and and make quick decisions, yeah. I'm sure was one of your, I'm sure is one of your, your strongest capabilities. Um, I mean, you've created some of the most prominent products in the entire hair care space. Um, and, and you continue to still do it even with the, the ultimate frizz fighter. So you have another frizz product, which is, which is incredible. Um, I've used it myself. I also have extremely frizzy curly hair. Um, and it's such a pain point in my life. Um, it has, you know, 60,000 five-star reviews. It's just one of the, the, all, all of these products that you've mentioned are, are some of the biggest in history. So I'm curious, um, talk me through the development process and and even going back to the beginning that year you spent in London, did you have everything sort of set up and ready to go or did you have to start from scratch again or were you working with the original lab that you were working at or how did you do that? You mean the second time with ColorWow or with, with... I mean, I guess, I guess both times. Has it been like linear or have there been different chapters or did you build your own lab? Your own lab. Well, yeah, we have a lab. Okay. And we've always had a lab. We've always had the same in-house chemist that I started with at Zotos when I was wow. working there. And then he came with us to John Frieda and he's just, the two of us and Anne really just connect. And Joe has had his Dr. Joe Singhati, he's brilliant. And he's also kooky, like the rest of us have a little bit of crazy, you know? <laughs> and he has a list of products from me mostly that because I'm always wanting something for my own self or somebody that I'm talking to. And I said, you need to crack this at some point. And so with the Frizz product, Frizzies was great at the time. There was nothing like it. And the technology that was out there was really just silicones that could coat your hair like a clear nail polish and make the cuticle lie flat. 
But the problem with that was, I'll never forget the day I went to see Aerosmith at Jones Beach and I blew my hair dry. It was long. And I just, it was like really good the way I blew it dry that day. And I go to the ladies' room and go to wash my hands. And I look up and I got scared because I thought somebody else was looking. Who's <laughs> going? Because I couldn't make this up. I couldn't. You were scared. My hair was like the, I mean, beyond comprehension because it was so wet out there that it was totally destroyed, massive frizz. And I was so frustrated. And I say to, to Joe, we have to find a way to humidity proof the hair. Let's talk about it. Let's think. So we would throw around ideas for ingredients for years. And then finally, about nine years, well, I don't know, seven to nine years ago, whatever, he came into my office with two hair swatches. And I hadn't been bugging him about it anymore. Two hair swatches. And he goes, watch this. And they were both bleached. One had been blown dry with this new formula, one not. He dropped the water on the untreated and it just sunk in. On the treated, it just bubbled up like outdoor furniture, umbrella, just droplets, just complete droplets. I said, oh my God. He said, feel the hair. And I felt it. It felt like nothing was on it. Whereas with frizzies, it bothered me because I always could feel it on my hair and I don't like that. I could feel it. It was heavy. So this, you didn't feel on your hair. I said, this is absolutely insane. We have to launch this immediately. Let's test it on a lot of different people. I said, and then this is just the holy grail of holy grails for um, frizzy hair. For most, not all, but most. Um, And we launched it. And it has just, I mean, had a life of its own. It's word of mouth. It's all over TikTok all the time and talk about growing pains and things. It's a struggle now with social media because when things go viral, to keep up with that in your forecasting and everything is really difficult. And with the pandemic and all of the supply chain, it's been a rough, rough bunch of years. At the same time, you know, social media is great because other people let other people know about things that work which is great but that product has been really years 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 in the in looking for that solution you know it never happens overnight because the technology wasn't there before but he you know he's got this list there are other things he has on his list that have been on his list for over 20 years i'm sure this and, list is crazy yeah and he still can't crack some of them and i go crazy <laughs> some of them are for that i want um but one day one day you are such an amazing storyteller. I've barely had to ask you anything. I feel like you've hit so many things that I was going to ask, which is incredible. But I'm curious, since you've been in the industry for so long, what are some of the biggest, um, you just mentioned social media, some of the biggest challenges in this modern time um, versus perhaps when you first, you know, launched John Frieda, like what, what are some of the things that you, that you love that have changed and have grown in the industry? And then what are some of the biggest challenges, um, you know, still having a brand during this, this time where the consumer's much smarter, much more educated and has these really high expectations. And then also so much competition. Did you know that brands with superior customer experience and communication drive 5.7 times more revenue than competitors that lag in these areas? That's why creating joyful interactions that exceed customer expectations is so important. Since using Iterable, the most powerful customer communication platform, Madison Reed saw a 45% upgrade to subscription conversion and Ritual gained a 45% lift in conversion in a single campaign. Want to learn more about the strategy and best practices that fuel engagement, retention, and loyalty for brands like these? Attend the Iterable Activate Summit Conference. Elevate your marketing moments and connect with thousands of like-minded professionals tackling and solving the same issues you encounter every day. As a Glam & Grow podcast listener, get 30% off ticket prices for the in-person experience in San Francisco. Or if you'd like to attend virtually, it's free. To secure your spot at Activate Summit, go to glamandgrow.co slash activate. Use promo code GLAM30 for a 30% discount. 
That's glamandgrow.co slash activate and promo code GLAM30. Now back to this episode. So much. Yeah. That's a really, really good question. You know, when I look back on it, launching a brand during the John Frieda days was much easier, much, much easier. You still had to make, you know, for us, the formula had to be there, you know, and the position of it had to be there. And the packaging had to, there were a lot of, there's a ton of thought that went into frizzies and the bottle and the dropper and the way the package look and using before and afters. There's always a lot of strategy and everything to make it work. But once you had it right and you got it on the shelf, then all you had to do really was, you know, somehow reach the consumer through just a couple of methods. It was either TV or print advertising. That was pretty much it. So we would do one shoot, a really big shoot every year and a half or so. Wow. And that was all contact content that we would use. It would be for the TV commercials and it would be for the print advertising. And there was nothing else to do, you know, as far as that creative side of it, really, you know, that was the majority of the thought, effort, and money. And so it wasn't anything like it is today where, I mean, there's so many, it is so much more difficult to be success, really successful like that, where, you know, the brand is still, you know, in all of the stores now, 30 something years later, I think the serum is still has a huge life of its own, you know, still, it's still around anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And same with the sheer blonde. I think now what has been really difficult, I remember in 2006, you know, we had a much smaller team I called everybody in and I said, you know, we really need to become as much of an expert in the digital side of the business as we can, we, because that's where the future is. So we really need to learn about um, making sure we have the best practices for our website. And at the time, I think it was around that same time, it was Facebook was out there and trying to learn about Facebook and the hashtags back then, you know, or, and then Instagram, they would come up and it was interesting because it was new and you had to figure out algorithms changed. But what's happening is more and more things change. There's more metrics to look at. There's more ways to advertise. It's constant um, education. And there are so many different places that you have to educate yourself to be an expert to know that I that's difficult. So when it started, I would read books. And then the books were out of date. And then I would read best practices everywhere on the internet. because. You know, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. If I want to find out what other people have done. So I try to read as much. If they figured it out to a certain point, I want to know and start at that point kind of thing. So I'd be reading them. I'd be sending them out to people that were working on the social media and everybody had their assignments and we were trying to learn, trying to learn. But it just has become so complicated and so much work with in micro influencers. There's just so many places. And with TikTok, you know, when something goes viral, you, first of all, you have to do six a day, maybe, you know, TikToks. I I still don't even understand TikTok. I mean, even (laughs) as a millennial, I'm like, I, what is going on? I I don't want to be addicted to another thing, but, but I get it. (laughs) But there I am at night and I'm trying to stop myself because I, I have to. So I'm on there, you know, but I don't make them myself. Although I was thinking the other day, you know, because I also get addicted to other things like their little dance routines that I find myself late at night. <laughs> I have to go, what were you doing? Sometimes the girls are over. I said, don't even ask me. Um, but it's addictive because they know, you know, you hit, I don't only hit business things, you know, other, you know, brands I'm hitting, but it has been incredible for us because our products There's always a reason for being for the products. And what we want to do is make things faster for women so they don't have to spend as much time but still get good results or just give them the results without, we all call it, any side effects. So a lot of times when you build volume in the hair, for example, you you need alcohol and you need drying resins. And there's a negative part to that. So you've got your prescription in a package but there are side effects. And so what we try to do is with the volume product that we came out with, it took us long. We could make a volume product, but 
we didn't want to blow the cuticle up, which is the typical way of giving consumers volume. And so Joe found a way to keep the cuticle flat and yet use this sort of molecular polymer that surrounded each strand. And you could see the hair is big, but it's shiny and glossy and it's not dried out. So we're trying to do those kind of things that also could be demonstrated easily on TV, on TV, on um, TikTok and Instagram. And so we send products out to people. They are all over TikTok. And then after they're on TikTok and we see what's happening, we then put them onto Instagram and Facebook. And we have really great teams that are measuring everything all the time. So you have to take so many things like the click-through rate, the cost per million, and the ROAS. There's so many things that you're constantly looking at and that change that I think that is difficult to master. I don't know, you know, to really master it because it changes and then and you're not spending the entire day on it. You know, you've got a lot of other things to do. We're not an eight TikTok agency. Right. That, that's all we do all day. So that's been really challenging. It's been, you know, doing wonders for the business, but it's challenging. I'm not going to say it's easy. And then even with the websites, there's so much. I mean, we have meetings all the time with um, our team about site speed or the site mapping and the SEO. <laughs> it's just like so much newness that you, I feel it's frustrating in a way because I, I'll never going to master any of those things. So then I wonder, is my guidance going to be good enough? You know, because I have experience that some of the people don't have, but then I'm not an expert in any of these fields. So it's trying to learn as much as you can, which is exciting to me because I wouldn't be wanting to do it the same as John Frieda. I'm glad that I'm learning. You have to, I mean, it would be so boring if I wasn't learning. And that's part of the excitement. But it's hard. I have to say it's hard. And we, your team matters. We really do have a great team. And, you know, throughout the career, we eventually do have good team. But this time around, I would say for the most part, we've been just so lucky in everybody we hired. They're very, very good. They're really talented and they want to learn. Like sometimes people don't want to, and they might think, what is, you know, mate, what is she doing sending me this book to read? Or why is she sending me these things to read at night? You know, they might think, what, what am I doing? None of them. They they send me articles now all the time. They have for the last bunch of years. Read this. I think it's interesting. Food for thought. You know, back and forth sharing the latest information that we think could help the business. So I really like that because I feel, you know, I don't want to be this age and have no clue what's going on. Do you know what I mean? It's It keeps you, it's not about be, being, I, I think, some people just are young in their mind all the time. And some people are old at 40. Do you know what I mean? I don't necessarily think you have to work to keep young, but I do like learning the new things all the time from, from the younger people. And I think we each have something to teach each other um, at the company. Absolutely. So, so many different directions I can go here as well, but I want to touch on, you mentioned that, you know, during the John Freda days, you know, you do one campaign every year and a half, which is unbelievable to hear. Now it's like content, content, new, new on the day, practically. So I'm curious, you know, some of these videos uh, for color wow that have gone viral, these like jaw dropping 30 second volume hack, the before and afters are unbelievable. Right. And I'm, I'm sure they have sold the brand probably more effectively than anything else, any, any other marketing channel. So I'm curious, what you focused on the most, perhaps it's a combination of a few different things, but these videos being so viral and so the, like the before and afters, I mean, you, you can't deny the before and afters, um, how you best go about optimizing that. Or are you constantly figuring out, you know, which, uh, influencers to align with, or how do you approach, um, what's really most effective at this point? Also having the knowledge, like you mentioned of having a brand so many years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're always changing strategy, you know, to trying to improve it. So I don't feel like the strategy we have now will be the strategy a month from now. But basically where we are now is we focus on sending the product out to and and our products that can make a difference like that. You know, there are many of our products. You can see the difference immediately. And so we send the product out to people that have the right hair type. And with a brief, 
usually, and um, that we've looked at their page and we think they're very good at communicating. And so we send a lot of things out. Many, many aren't clear. You know, sometimes the, the quality of them aren't, but so many are. And then we're also searching all the time for people that are just doing it. We haven't sent them anything. So we're searching for what if they're hashtagging us and then we find them and then we see if we can use it with them to either spark it on TikTok. And then if it's working, then put put it over to Instagram and Facebook. Um, can we use it in our e-blasts? Can we put it on our Amazon A plus content on Amazon? You know, we then talk to them and and it's really a matter now of so many people buying it and finding it and doing it on their own. That's made it a bit easier right now than it was maybe a year or two ago. But still, it's still a grind where you're still wanting everybody to know about it and passing it out. But it's really word of mouth through TikTok and Instagram and and people really seeing a difference. And they do um, the videos better than we would. They have such different personalities, these people, you know, and their expressions when they see it, or do we laugh when we see them because they're so entertaining. And we know the product works, you know, we know, put in your hand, just read the directions and you're going to get an instant before and after. It's going to be instant before and afters is what, even with the frizzy serum back in the day, now with Dreamcoat, People are dropping the water droplets on their hair and yelling as they see the beads <laughs> roll off their hair. So the products are designed to for a specific issue and to work quickly. And so they're very, very Instagrammable or they're very, very reels or and TikTok um, oriented or, you know, it could be successful video. Yeah. I mean, so Instagrammable because they actually really work. So yeah, there, there's no better Testament than real people using your products in a, in a real video that isn't some glorious professional set, you know, that's just so relatable and, um, yeah, works for anybody. I'm very curious as someone who's such an industry that what you think about retail versus D to C, what do you think about D to C and 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 what how the business sits as of late? Is it sort of 50-50 or or how do you approach being omni-channel? I would say it it was about a third, a third, a third. But you know, you have these behemoths like Amazon and NRD to C, you know, Amazon is so easy to order from. So you can be at home, you see a TikTok, boom, when our TikToks work. Amazon goes crazy, but then so does Sephora and so does our website. But I think Amazon is pretty much reaping a lot of the uh, rewards of the viral TikToks, you know, and product. They have to, it's just so easy that that you get the delivery the next day. Um, But then there's a place for Sephora. People want to shop in Sephora and things like um, Chris's money mask that we have, it's in this it's a great product and it does way better at Sephora than other places because you're attracted to the packaging. You, We haven't done as many videos on that because it's a mask. It's like a mask and shampoo. You can't see quickly, oh, she's got volume. Quickly, in one minute, she's gotten rid of the frizz. You know, you can't show it that way. So, um, and then the people in, you know, the um, cosmeticians or, or, or the the ambassadors or whatever you call them at Sephora, the Sephora um, educators in there, they're so helpful and they really understand our product. So I think that there's really a place for us. And I, you know, more and more you want to get out also. I do order a lot myself online, but all through the pandemic, when you were locked in your house, nothing was greater. And now everybody knows no matter what age, how to order online. But I find myself now wanting to be out, going into, and I think our sales in Sephora and Ulta are unbelievable, you know? So I just think they all sort of work together, really, you know, for different lifestyles too. You know, they're different consumers. Um, There's always going to be consumers that really prefer not to be out and seen and just want to order the stuff online. It's easy. They get it the next day. I don't know. I just, we're lucky too that, in all the areas, we're flourishing right now. So knock on wood. 
Well, also too, you're in, you're in a category that's such a reorderable product. So, I mean, if someone falls in love with the product that they're not going to leave. So I would imagine your repeat order rate is through the roof. Yeah. It's really good. Um, so, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I, I want to ask a couple more questions and really just yeah. on a, on a personal level as well. Cause I find your career so interesting. What, what has been the most rewarding part of this journey for you? And then what, what, if you could go back and do anything differently, is there anything differently you would do? Yeah, I'll answer first. The rewarding part I think is making the products that people really respond emotionally to. And honestly, you know, I worked at other companies and there were not, I I don't want to diss any other company by any stretch of the imagination, but it was incredible all through my career from John Frieda to now, the type of, back in the day, it was actually letters that people were sending us. We had a whole room full that went forever with person, I mean, well-known people, mayors of cities, just, you know, normal people so much spilling their heart out to us that it's so unbelievably rewarding. Older grandmothers then talking about their young kids. And it's the same now with this, with the the feedback that we get with our customer service and comments that we get and DMs and everything is extremely rewarding that you know that people feel better and you know that you've made a difference. And when I go places and then somebody hears color wow, and they go, oh my God, your root cover up, or oh my God, that dream code is saving me. I took it on vacation. That is rewarding. You can make products and you can make money, but you don't necessarily are going to hear those kind of comments about the products. And when I get that kind of feedback in all of us, and I also really believe it's been a pleasure working with the people that we work with. It gives you, it's fun. It's joyful. We go through horrible times like we did during the pandemic as a team. I was calling them SEAL, the operations department, SEAL Team 6. I said, you guys, <laughs> because they were, and I said, I would never want to be in the trenches with anybody else. You guys, they've been unbelievable through it. And they are also fun. Like, I don't want to just be grinding away. Like if I'm grinding away like that, I want to also have fun with these guys. So I'm telling them we're all going to go, the people that want to, in for the um, cold plunge because we're close to the sound here in Connecticut. I go, let's do a cold plunge. I've been reading so much about it. Let's go. So I did it with my sister. And then people in the office said, can you have, can we meet you there next time? So it's fun. You know, we want to do things that are also fun as a group. So I would say it's really the people and making a difference that's been a joy really the whole time. And then what was your other question? As I oh, go I said, on? is there anything you would go back and do differently? Yes. I think I would pay more attention or I'd go out more with our business partners. Like we would go into a meeting and have a great meeting. And if they wanted to go to dinner, nine times out of 10, we would say no. And never really socialized and really got to know them as people. It was business all the time, business. And these are, you know, they were so helpful to us, especially, you know, back in the day with John Frieda, they wanted to see us win. They couldn't, you know, they had a joy working with us and everything. And yet I was so focused, so focused. Okay. This is the business. This is what I have to, okay, we're in, we're out. We're going to go back to the office. I think I would spend a little more time enjoying myself. I enjoyed during the day at work, but when I was traveling, I think I would want to spend a little more time, um, going out to dinner with people, really getting to know them. It helps you later too, when you want to go back to people and even just for information or whatever. I I don't think that I I would change that. I think that that was a, a loss. But then again, what also, you know, affected, you know, and impacted my decision was my kids. So I didn't attend a lot of, you know, I didn't go to CEW events really. And a lot of events because I thought I'm working all the time. I'm not going to then, I'm going to stay home. And I think I could have had a little bit more balance and not networked, but really got to know more people in the industry instead of being a bit of a loner. And it was just our team. And that was it. Through all of these years, I can't say 
that I made a lot of close friends over the years because I was more in the office doing the business out on the road back here back with my kids and and not taking a time out to enjoy other people that were you know in the industry I would change that a bit yeah although I'm sure it was really difficult to to manage your time um at the time you know especially I'm sure there were so many fires and things of that nature for you to put out it's it's easy to say in retrospect so you mentioned how the team has been just the the backbone of the business. It's obviously it it is so essential in being able to really build a sustaining, long lasting brand. So I'm curious, what are some of the the really the core attributes that you look for in building a team, and and what you think about in this current? Um, there's such a shift in the workplace, particularly in the U.S. with remote remote culture. How how what do you think of that, and do you think it's sustainable? I think it'll be hard to go back to the way it was anytime soon, I think. But we have where you're in different departments are in different times, but two days a week right now, two or three days. And it's working. And I think you enjoy it when you're in there. I mean, um, collaborating, it's easier to collaborate than it is when you're on Zoom. Even though you're all there, it's just different when you're in the office hanging around, sitting around a, a table or whatever in my office, people lounging on a couch or something. It's a different vibe. And there's somehow I feel it's more creative. You you have more creative juices flowing in that environment than I think that you do when you're just a bunch of boxes all the time. Um, and then when we have meeting after meeting after meeting, and then at night you're having to do your emails it's it's difficult. I think for me, building a team, what I look for is I like people to be strategic. You know, I, that's a big thing. Like, you know, I ask them a lot of questions so that I can try to figure out how strategic they think and, you know, what motivates them, what makes them happy. And I've told people that I worry about being political. You know, there was someone that I remember I was going to hire. I said, you know, you've been really successful. But I want you to think, have you gotten there because of any kind of politics in any way or any, you know, anything like that at all, having a different agenda? I said, because I'm after all these years, I'm pretty perceptive. And that's one thing I don't need to be doing this right now. I don't want politics in this company. And I know the people really well. You can't throw anybody under the bus to me because I already know them. So if you try, you're not going to be here. I know these people. I respect them. And it's going to be my judgment in the end. So I don't, that kind of thing doesn't work here. And that person never came back. And I said it in a probably nicer way than I'm saying it right now. No, I appreciate the the bluntness of it because I think everyone has to be so delicate nowadays. I think that's a great point. I, cause I don't, I don't, you know, right now, I don't have to be working. You know, Anne doesn't have to be working. John Frieda, when we sold um, John Frieda, he, we were both pretty equal partners. And he has been traveling the world and skiing everywhere. And I say to people, <laughs> ever want to know who the smarter of the two of us was? You now know John <laughs> as I'm like, oh, you know, and going gray. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm very careful. Because I want to enjoy going to work. I want them to be smart. I want to learn from them. So I ask them a lot of questions when, um, and I, you know, I want people around me. And that's why I turn to books too a lot of times. I want to keep learning and I want people that have that same kind of, that, that are hungry and eager, but, um, want to also have fun. Like I, and are not too, I mean, it's hard to tell, but you sort of can after a couple of interviews, how precious they are, because I'm pretty direct. And so, and I want people to be direct with me. So if I'm writing copy for something, or I like something, I want them to say, Gail, that is the worst headline I've ever seen. And I'm okay. <laughs> and they say that to me, that's horrible. I don't know why you like it. And when I talk to them, I said, if you're here and you've been here a while, that means we think you're good. So if I look at your copy or look at something you've done and say, what, what is this? This isn't, you know, you just laugh because I don't mean it personally. And we're kind of all like that. We're just 
all kind of in. And if something is bad, it's bad. You know what I mean? And we can say it to each other and laugh. And I think a lot of times when things go wrong, we just fall on the floor. I mean, because what I mean, sometimes it was so bad during the pandemic that the head of our UK (laughs) office, we were working so many hours that we would get deliriously laughing on Zoom. We couldn't even hold a meeting, the two of us, because it was so bad. It was so bad. What are you going to do at some point? So I like people that can make fun of themselves and, and the situation. And I want people to take it seriously, but not so seriously. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not life and death. It's not your child being sick. We can figure out a way. Okay. This is bad, but you know what? There's a way forward. Let's just figure it out. Those are the people that I like, and that's what we have. And it's just fun. You know, it's fun. I love that you're still writing copy. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it sounds like you still touch every aspect of the business, which I find really interesting. Um, okay. So for my final question, since you've been such a pioneer in the hair care space, I'm curious, like what's a trend that you're loving right now? And and as the industry is getting more and more crowded, do you think there will always be room for new trends and innovation? And, and, you know, ultimately history sort of ends up repeating itself or it is getting more challenging. It is getting more challenging. That is for sure. But somehow when I think that there's nothing more to figure out something that somebody says or someone else comes in with an idea and then we kind of pile on and there's a light. And, you know, we work with Chris Appleton, who is- I was going to mention him, but he didn't come up. Chris, so. <laughs> I should have brought him up because Chris is a <laughs> part of the team. And, you know, I there everybody is very good in their lane like very good. And they are great to work with. And Chris is that Chris is beyond amazing in his, how did you meet him too as well? I had been looking for two years for somebody that could do hair and be out there in the front, like John was. And I wanted to collaborate and talk about products with them and trends. And I've been looking for two years and I just didn't think anybody was right. And I tend to look at their red carpet hair because you can't fake red carpet hair like you can retouch so much a studio shot. So really the red carpet hair is the real, okay, this is what it ended up like, no retouching. And I was looking at everybody's and then I got this book from Chris Appleton. I had no, I I looked at it online. It was portfolio. I said, I don't even know who this guy is. He was in England at the time, had only done Rita Ora. I had never heard of him. And I'm looking at all these pictures and I'm going, oh my God, who is this person? And then I'm looking at the red carpet and I'm going, I said, we have to meet this guy. This is like heads, you know, over everybody that I've seen. So we have a meeting with him. It was a Skype at the time. And he's so funny. He's So he's talking to me very, for like, like nothing. Like, like if I've known him forever. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't anything. He was just like a friend that I've been talking to. And he said, you know, you remind me of somebody, you know, I just saw a movie and I'm thinking, oh, you know, like, great. (laughs) And he said, you're like the devil wears Prada. And I said, what are you talking about? You're like, which character? (laughs) Right, exactly. He said, no, you're just being funny, but you're being very direct with me. I said, well, I just am trying to figure out whether it will be. And that was a funny thing for him to say to me. You know, he didn't know how I would take it. And that's kind of how he is. He just, boom, says what he thinks. He's very funny. He's very smart. It's a great collaboration with him. And we see things very similarly, our our aesthetics. So when we're in the studio together and I might go "Mm," over, he's right there. Like, I don't have to say anything. Whereas I've worked with many hairdressers, not that they're not good, but the aesthetic is different. And when I'm saying, right, look over there, that's not, they don't have any clue where I am. And that's frustrating for me. Whereas with Sally, when I worked with Sally or John or with Chris, Chris, first of all, I barely say one word to Chris because it's just like, you know, he just gets there and he's the consummate, like professional, most perfect eye. And he understands products like no one that I have ever seen. He uses so much product to make the quality of the hair, the worst hair possible. He makes it look amazing. And you would think the more product he put on, the worse it's going to be because it's going to be hard, brittle, whatever. No, he is a master. He's masterful. 
at making hair look beautiful, like the quality, the texture of it. And then the style is so brilliantly executed. And it's always so right for that person. And that moment, you know, he has a real understanding of, you know, creating a moment so that all of the pieces work to make that one point in time big. So the um, when J-Lo did the Super Bowl, that hair was so perfect for that big moment. And it lasted. She was out in the humidity, thanks to Dreamcoat. He always says, thanks to Dreamcoat, I would have died out in that humidity. <laughs> I was sweating bullets, hoping that that would stand up to that. And he's just, a, he's another one that I have so much fun with. Like we laugh all the time at each other's personalities and trying to get somewhere. You know, it's just, I, I'm lucky that I really have had an experience with so many talented people. I'm very, very lucky because they bring such an, you know, I don't know, uh, interesting color to your life. People like that. So it's just, you know, it's been fun. Yeah. Or you attract the right people or you're just the visionary that, you know, recognizes the right qualities in the right people. So I think that's really interesting. So for my final question, what's next for, for you on a personal level and color? Wow. Color. Well, we have some things, but I can't talk about, of course I okay. can't. And for me, I don't see me doing anything other than what I'm doing right now. Although I am trying to think about ways to change as long as things change a lot on the um in the business there's another tiktok or something else to learn that's fun or i have to make it my own fun some other way but i do like it's uncomfortable sometimes when you grow you know trying to grow it's uncomfortable but when you're too comfortable that's not good for you i think either so finding something that gets me more out of my comfort zone a little bit again i don't know what that will be but Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I appreciate it so much. And, and, uh, I look forward to seeing what's next for, for you and ColorWow. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Uh, also too, for anyone who wants to find out if, if they don't know what ColorWow is, which I'd be shocked if they don't, um, where, where should I direct them? To ColorWow at ColorWowHair.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show is produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call.